have family and friends who share in all I do. But if I lose it all and I'm left with nothing, if I have the Lord, I know I'll make it through. I live, but oh, what a reason. He's the only reason I live, but oh, what a reason. Oh, there's nothing in this world worth living for. You empty and longing for more. He's the only reason I live. But oh, what a reason! You may have tried many things to find real happiness. But if you've looked very long, then you know it just can't be found. Until you find the Lord and the power of His Spirit, He'll be your reason to live. And he'll never let you down. He's the only reason I live. But oh, what a reason. He's the only reason I live. But oh. Oh, there's nothing in this world worth living for. It only leaves you empty and longing for more. He's the only reason I live. But oh, what a reason. He's the only reason I live, but oh, what a reason, yes, he's the only reason I live, but oh, what a reason, see, there's nothing in this world. And longing for more, he's the only reason I live. But oh, what a reason! He's the only reason I live. But oh, what a reason! He's the only reason I live. But oh, what a reason! He's the only reason I live. But oh, what a reason! He's the only reason I live. But oh, what a reason! He's the only
Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Is that the way you feel? From a little girl, I've always loved Jesus, and I've always sung for Jesus. And but then when I grew older, you know, I, I, I knew the word, I knew the Bible, I knew, I, you know, and I, and I knew what it meant to live, for, to live for Jesus. But it wasn't until I fell in love with Jesus that my life changed. And I'm sold out to Jesus. I love him more than anything or anyone in this world. He is the reason I live. And this song says, I mean, it's one of my mama's favorites, so I'm singing this for her. It says, the potter knows the clay. You know, in Jeremiah, when he, you know, the Lord told him to go to the potter's house. And um, so he went to the potter's house, and, and he noticed that the vessel was marred. It didn't look quite right in the potter's hand when the potter just crushed it. The potter just simply crushed it together. He didn't throw it away. He just crushed it together. And then he told Jeremiah, he said, um, as the clay is in the potter's hands, so are you in my hand. And, you know, sometimes we have to be put on the potter's wheel when we sort of um, do our own thing. And God has different plans. And it's hard to be in that place. I know because I've been in the fire before and I know how it feels. So this song just simply says, the potter knows the clay. So I want you to listen to the words. The words have a, a great meaning. you're going through the fire it's getting hard to stand the heat but even harder is the wondering is God's hand still on me it's lonely in the flames when you're counting days of pain but the potter knows the clay Just how much pressure it can take How many times around the wheel Till there's submission to his will He's planned a beautiful design But it'll take some fire The potter knows the clay. Friend, I just came through that fire not too very long ago. And looking back, I can see why and that God was in control but on the hottest days I cried oh Lord isn't it about time but the potter knows the clay how much pressure it can take how many times around the wheel till there's submission to his will he's planned a beautiful design 
the potter knows the clay. He's planned a beautiful design, but it all takes some fire and time. It's gonna be okay, cause the potter knows the And this one would have to be one of my favorite songs to sing, which all of my, all, everything I sing is, is my favorite. But this one has special meaning because there's been so many times when I needed a miracle. And I thought about the woman with the issue of blood, who she had spent everything that she had on, on physicians, and she just grew worse. But then, you know, then she heard about Jesus, and she took one step, then one step. In one step, and every step she took, she got closer to him. And when she touched the hem of his garment, everything changed. And I, I think that's how we have to be. We just have to take one step, one step closer to him. You know, no matter how it looks, what, whatever need we might have, every step that we take closer to him, we're one step away from our miracle. She had spent all she had on physicians, yet grew worse with every passing day. For twelve long years she had battled with this illness. Was there any power that could take this hurt away? Then someone told her of Jesus. They said that even now he was passing along this way. And somehow she knew if only she could touch him. Pressing through the crowd, you could hear her spirit say, just one touch away from your miracle one touch away from all that you need one cry to him can change the trouble you're in you're one step away from your miracle I want you to think about whatever you're going through. Just one step away. Right now you're standing at the edge of your Red Sea. You don't know where to go. You don't know what to do. Because with your natural eye, you cannot see the victory. But in your heart, 
you hear the Father telling you you're just one step away from your miracle, just one touch away from all that you need, and one cry to Him can change the trouble you're in. You're one step away from your miracle, so don't give up now. Just keep on pressing through, and though it looks impossible, what my God said, I know He will do. He will do. You're just one step away from your miracle. One touch away from all that you need. And one cry to Him can change the trouble you're in. You're one step away. cry to him can change the trouble you're in you're one step away one cry away one touch away oh you're just one step away from where your miracle will Another one you want to go? Okay. <laughs> this song really means a lot to me too because, you know, when my kids were small, they used to watch a um, video called "It Was Salty" the singing songbook, and um, I knew all the songs. I could sing all of them, and. Um, then, but the, you know what? God used that video, singing, Salty the Singing Songbook, to talk to me. And um, it was at that point that I really became sold out to, to Jesus. And I said, okay, Lord, here I am. It was like, I was like Isaiah. Here I am. I'll go. Here I am. Send me. Send me. And then I saw a scripture in Acts 26, 17 through 18. It says, I'm sending you to open their eyes so that they will turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. And then they will receive forgiveness from their sins and be given a place among God's people who are set apart by faith in me. And I've given my life to him. And God opened the, began opening the door for me to go on mission trips. And I, and I made a promise. I said, Lord, you open the door and I'll go. Wherever you want me to minister, wherever you want me to sing, I will go. Here I am. Send me. 
And that's what I want to be. I want to be a sold-out Christian. And that's what we as his disciples are supposed to be. That's what he expects from all of us. So this song, again, is what I tell the Lord. Let your sweet aroma fill my life. Rose of Sharon, show me how to grow in beauty in God's sight. Fairest of ten thousand. Make me a reflection of your light. Day stars shine down on me. Let your love shine through me in the night. Lead me, Lord, I'll follow. really is my heart. Lord, I see a world that's dying, wounded by the master of deceit. They're groping in the darkness, haunted by the years of past defeat. But when I see you standing near me, shining with compassion in your eyes, I pray, Jesus, shine down on me. Let your love shine through me in the
light. Day stars shine down on me. Let your love shine through me in the night. Day stars shine down on me. Now let's stand and shake hands, especially if you see a visitor. Please let them know that we're glad to have them. Again, again, we're grateful. Thank you for coming tonight, all that visit with us. Uh, Theresa, thank you for singing. She'll come back in just a moment and sing again. I apologize for mispronouncing your name earlier, okay? And since that is the name of the church, I'm supposed to know better than that, I'm sure. <laughs> Carol Clayton, one of our deacons, is going to come lead us in our opening prayer. Let's pray. Grace and the Father, we thank you so much for love. We thank you, Lord, that you speak to us through your songs, Father, and give us inspiration and, and our closest to you. Father, we know this by your spirit that you touch us. Lord, we know you speak through song and through a message, Father, that we need to hear. We praise you, Lord, that you speak clearly. We just ask, Lord, that we would obey you. We ask, Lord, that we would take this message out and spread it around this world, the light that truly is Jesus Christ. We lift up our sick and our suffering. We pray for your healing for them. 
We pray for their families at their side, that you will give them encouragement and strength, Lord. We ask, O Lord, for your healing power to touch them in a mighty way. And we just thank you, Father, for your many blessings. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. And our hymn this morning, uh, this evening, our two hymns, uh, the one we're going to sing, then the invitation hymn, Helen Jones, one of our, uh, she is our adjunct music director, whatever that means. Uh, she does it on Wednesday night. Helen, come on up here. We got 545 Living for Jesus. As she comes, Ira, her husband, taught her how to lead music, and he did an outstanding job. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We're going to sing, if you will, let's stand and sing all. Is it three stanzas on that, isn't it? Yes, sir. Okay. This is what revival is about living for Jesus. Amen. Let's stand.
thank you, Gilda. Thank you, Helen. And I want y'all to know, Helen does this on Wednesday night, and it just proves our church is an equal height employer. <laughs> Literally loud and point <laughs> Again, we thank you for visiting. If you are a visitor tonight, thank you so much for coming. Let me quickly tell you, if you need to go to the restroom, go all the way down this hallway, hang a left, and they're on the left down there. There's some guys around the church that will direct you wherever you need to go. When you leave tonight, and I, I've said this every night, and I'm very sincere in this, please be careful leaving the parking lot. This is a very bad curve. A lot of times people aren't expecting the church to be open on Thursday nights, and they come by pretty fast. So make sure as you pull out that you're not pulling out in front of anyone. I want to remind our deacons, uh, we will be having the Lord's Supper Sunday morning. For those at the 830 service, please be here at 815 so that we can go over the Lord's Supper and for those that will be at 11 o'clock service, we'll do that after your prayer time. Um, I want to thank you for your faithfulness this week. Um, so many of you have been so faithful. So, so many people have, have made this possible. Um, I want to thank you, you for your attendance, for praying for the revival, for inviting people to come. I want to thank those that have sung, the choirs. Uh, please, David, let your choir know how much we appreciate them coming on Sunday night, if you see any of the folks from uh, Leesburg United Methodist Church, tell them we appreciate their choir coming uh, on Monday night, the Unlimited Grace on Tuesday night, our church choir. Please thank them for, for coming and sharing. And Theresa, again, we thank you for coming tonight and sharing with us. I uh, want to thank uh, the soundboard committee. They've done an outstanding job. Uh, the nursery workers, the kitchen committee, Thank you, Sunday school classes that have provided meals about 6 o'clock tomorrow night. I'm going to go in withdrawal um, because I got a feeling it's going to be bologna sandwiches and Cheetos again. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> it was interesting. I was flossing this morning, and I kept having trouble on this side on the upper ones, and I finally got I had a chicken bone stuck up in my tooth. <laughs> When I pull my plate out, there was a piece of cornbread under it, David, so uh, never mind. That's not true. Um, getting back to the real business, uh, we want to have a time of prayer. Let me again remind you of Weldon Bowes. Weldon is still at the VA, so please, please remember him in prayer as well as Helen and their family. Um, please remember Larry Honeycutt, uh, Garland, Shorty Clayton, Joe Lee, um, Janet Davis will have surgery tomorrow at, uh, at Duke. Um, also, tomorrow, Al Day, who is uh, Vicki Weaver's uh, brother, will have surgery at Duke Regional. And please remember, um, remember Randy um, Averett. He also is at Duke Regional. Many of you remember Geraldine and Randall Averett. This is their son. Um, Please remember uh, my granddaughter's father, uh, Philip McLaurin. He is in Wake Med, has been there. has been very seriously ill, but uh, is beginning to make progress. So please, please lift him up in prayer if you would. And please continue to remember the flood victims in Texas and those affected by the hurricanes. Please especially pray for the people of Puerto Rico, uh, as you see on the news that they're struggling in many, many ways there. And, of course, we have many, many folks at home. I uh, want to remind you, next week, Sonia Vaughn will have chemotherapy again on Wednesday. Joyce Wren will have chemotherapy Monday through Friday. 
And also, Thomas Long will have surgery Monday at Duke Regional Hospital. So please, just again, remember all these people. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you that we've had the privilege to be under the preaching and singing of your word these nights that we've met here. Father, I thank you that although this building is simply a work of man, but the church is the work of your son, Jesus Christ. And we thank you, Father, for his death on the cross to set us free from sin and to give us eternal life and to call us together as a body of believers. God, tonight I know that there are several churches that are represented here and remind us, Father, that we're not people of any particular denomination, but we are the children of God. And we come together to worship you. We thank you, Lord, for all that have sung this week. We thank you, Lord, for Theresa and that she has come to share her God-given gift of singing. And we just pray that you will bless her. And, Lord, as she sings once again, we just pray that you'll speak through her. And, God, we pray for David. God, we thank you so much for the messages that you brought through him. Thank you, Father, for reminding us of, of what it means to to live a life filled with joy because we are children of the King. And, Lord, we just pray for the impact of this revival to continue to be felt in, in weeks and months and even years ahead. Father, I just thank you again that you are a faithful God and that truly where two or three are gathered in your name, there you are in the midst. So thank you, Lord, that you're here tonight. May your Holy Spirit anoint David as he speaks May the word of God be revealed in such a clear and plain manner that all of us could understand it. And God, most of all, help us to obey it and to live it and to share it with others. And God, again, we would lift up many that are sick, even those that will have surgeries tomorrow and next week and take treatments. For many that are at home, God, we have been so blessed to be spared from the storms and earthquakes that have that have been felt in recent weeks. But, God, we lift up to you the needs of others that, Lord, have been in the eye of the storm. God, we just pray that you would shelter them and become their source of strength, provide every need that they have in this hour and in the days ahead as their lives are put back together. And again, Father, bless us in these moments, for we ask in Christ's name. Amen. David has been the pastor at Antioch now for how many years, David? I've been there for 21. 21 years. God bless you. What a wonderful testimony, again, to the faithfulness of God and to your faithfulness to the Lord's church. So it's been a blessing to have you and Missy and Ms. Downey and, and Micah and Noah was here on Sunday night before we went back to um, somewhere over in Chapel Hill. But anyway, <laughs> anyway, anyway. We've been glad to have you. Theresa, come and sing for us again, and then David will come and preach. This song is a, um, is a prayer. prayer. And, um, you know, America is, how many of you know, is in moral decline? Sadly. And, and sadly, some of it is the fault of God's children for straying from ways from the ways of the word, from straying from the word. But Second Chronicles, we all know it, seven fourteen says, If my people he's not talking about the people that are in the world, he's talking about if my people, 
who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and heal their land. And this is a prayer just simply says, heal our land, Lord, because blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. We've kept that up until now, and we've slow, we're slowly letting that slip away. But when we say, just like I sung that song, day star shine down on me, let your love, I want to love with the love of Christ. I want to be the disciple that he wants me to be. I want to go. I want to be willing to go wherever he opens the door. And my cry, I still love America. And my cry for this land is heal our land, Lord. Heal our land. chosen ones a people who called by your name humbly we seek your face Lord hear us as we pray and heal our the called out ones we are the body of Christ clothed in your righteousness Lord hear our humble cry and heal our
Jesus, hear from heaven, Lord, and hear our land. In times like these, we that you have an anchor my anchor holds and grips and grips that you your anchor grip it grips the solid rock heal our land can you pray that with me tonight amazing how the Holy Spirit orchestrates things. I told her earlier in that sort of second meet and greet we had, I said, I know you had no idea. Tonight's the first time I've met Theresa as far as I know. And I said, you know, I know you had no idea, but the Holy Spirit did, that one of the songs she sang will be the very last verse I allude to tonight. And then as you just sang that song, that is what this week has been about, a desire for God to heal our land. And where did we start on Sunday night? In that little book of Proverbs. And in Proverbs 17, we read that verse that says, a joyful heart, a merry heart does good like a medicine. So we are part of the answer, just as our sister just sang. But in reality, although we've had a good week, it's been a long week, hasn't it? Been a lot more running than some of you normally do, and by the time I get through preaching, many of you will have been asleep most nights for an hour or so. 
So it is the last night. It is late. So I need an awake crowd. So what I want you to do is something that we just started practicing at the church last week. I told you there are several exercises that we do to make sure that folks are awake and ready for the Word of God. may seem a little silly to you, but bear with me. It will wake you up. But now I want want you to listen real closely because I don't want any broken hips, okay? I don't want any broken bones. I don't want anybody hit upside of the head. I don't want any broken pews. So what we're going to do on three is I want you to stand straight up as carefully as you can and then sit back down just as quick as you can. Okay, real simple. And that's going to be funny because some people are going to get it wrong. But on three, just stand up, sit down. It's called the church wave. You ready? One, two, three. Up, down. Look at you. I love it. I love it. Look like a Christian jack-in-the-box gone bad. I like it. Now, aren't you a little more awake than you were just three minutes ago? Look at the joy showing. Look at that joy. This whole week has been about what? Joy. All right, even if you hadn't been here, I hope somebody told you. We've been talking about joy all week. I told you on Sunday night that most of the time when I preach a revival service, it's something that is just driving hard at you and picking at you and pushing you. And it's been a little bit of that, but I have yet to ever have a revival series where I have freedom to preach about something like joy. And so I have enjoyed it. Because I've told you as we began uh, on the first evening together that joy is critical. Joy is critical. It's important that we have that. And it's hard to believe that it's almost over, isn't it? Hard to believe. We're about to be finished. I'll tell you, you know, every good thing must have at least a comma, if not a period, right? You've always heard that every good thing, all good things must come to an end. I want to say thank you to all of you who have fed us, but I am glad... Now, Herbert, you might be eating bologna sandwich and Cheetos tomorrow. I think I'm just going to skip tomorrow. I think I could fast tomorrow and just pray for more joy because, I, man, y'all have fed us. And, and here's the thing, chicken every meal. <laughs> Where two or more Baptists are joined together, a chicken must die. It's just the way it is. But, uh, man, bless y'all's heart. I've had chicken and Texas Pete every night, including tonight, and it's been beautiful. So I'm sort of glad that all these meals have come to an end because if I'm not careful, I'm going to look like a Baptist preacher, and I do not want to do that. I want to stay trim and fit with my guns and my rock-hard abs like Herbert Brown well into retirement. Look at that. Oh, my goodness. But... With that being said, everything does come to an end. There is a finish line to all things. Several years ago when I was there at Antioch, because as I told Herbert, I've been there 20-plus years now, even though I came there when I was six days old, I spent a little time helping another sister church and ended up back there, but been over 20 years now. But when I first got back, we're still in the smaller sanctuary, sanctuary built way back in the 1900s, because church started in 1853, and then they burnt down and had to rebuild. So this was the old structure, and it had the old old real plaster with horse hair and all that I mean the real deal plaster you go to try to drive a nail in it you can say nope forget it ain't happening but it had a few cracks in it needed to be fixed up and needed a paint job and so we do what all churches do we tried to find the right contractor which means the cheapest and quickest right now it shouldn't mean that but let's just face it we are tight sometimes we can make old Abraham Lincoln squeal we pinch him so tight and those little pennies but we finally found somebody and I told him I said listen There's two things that are important here. We need you to do a good job, and we also need you to get done quickly because we're out of here on Wednesday night, and you've got from Wednesday until Sunday morning for this to be done and dry. 
No problem, preacher. No problem. How many times have you heard that talking to a contractor or somebody doing a little bit of work for you, especially these days as good work is starting to wane? And I told him, you have to be finished so that we can get in there Sunday morning. Well, sure enough, he shows up, and by Thursday evening, it's all painted and looks great. Really, I mean, quick paint job. I'm like, this is amazing. And then by the time we got there Sunday morning, I walked in, and like all behind the pulpit, it was like these runs all the way down the wall. It looked terrible, and you could see through to the old cracks and everything. And I'm thinking, what? in the world. Well, of course, I'm fielding all kind of complaints and everything else as if I'd done it, but you know, when the buck stops here, it just stops here. So everybody's complaining about this horrible paint job, and I'm like, I'm sorry, I will take care of it, but I can't do anything about it today unless you want me to postpone preaching and try to get in touch with this guy. No, 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 let it go. And so the next morning, I called him. I said, look, I, I need you to come out and meet me to church. Didn't tell him why. I met him out there, and, and I said, now, I need you to explain to me what's going on here. Yes, I needed it finished quickly, but I also told you I needed it right. He said, well, <clears throat> preacher, I, I really am sorry. I didn't know this was going to happen. He said, you told me it needed to be dry by Sunday, so I thinned the paint out quite a bit. And I thought it was going to be okay. I really am sorry. Well, I'm a preacher. What am I supposed to say? That ain't good enough. You fix it, and I'm going to beat you when you're done. No, you don't say that. You say, all right, listen, you know, I understand. I looked at him, I said, now, I want this finished by Wednesday, and I want you to go and repaint and thin no more. <laughs> come on, come on, it'll hit later. <laughs> yeah, Herbert got that one. Yes! Everything has to be finished, and tonight we finish our time together officially. But I hope that like a good meal, even though there will always be a last bite, I hope that when you eat that last bite, you've eaten enough that it has some lasting effects until the next meal. And I hope that what we've done here together this week will have lasting effects. Even though tonight is our proverbial last bite, I hope that you have feasted on the word as I have thrown out things all the way from Genesis to Revelation this week on joy. And I hope it will truly make a difference. I explained to you the first night by using verses from Proverbs, by going over to 1 Corinthians, by looking at 2 Corinthians, by looking at a verse in Psalms and so many other places, that joy is a critical and necessary part of our witness. Now, let me ask you something. If that sister had got up here and sung her heart out tonight and somehow just didn't look like she could find a smile anywhere in her repertoire, would it have meant as much to you as it did since she got up here and sang her heart out and you could see that joy on her face? Of course it wouldn't have. It means so much. I watch people singing all the time. There shall be showers of blessing. I'm like, somebody just shoot them and let them go on to heaven because this is terrible. Lord have mercy. How can you be singing about showers of blessings when you're really thinking to yourself, oh, I'd just be happy if I get a sprinkle. And then you got these folks up in the choir supposed to be leading in worship, supposed to have joy. You shouldn't be singing in the choir if it ain't inside because you, you're perpetrating, you know. You're fronting, if, or whatever the kids say these days. I don't know. I'm probably culturally irrelevant with the kids anymore. But anyway, you're putting on. You're deceiving yourself. And you see the choir up there, and they're singing, Fill my cup, Lord, and you can tell that they don't even care if he fills the spoon. It's just, it's terrible. We have got to let our joy show, not just when we're singing, not just when we're sitting in Theresa Baptist Church or our respective places of worship, but everywhere we go. Why? Because whether you realize it or not, everywhere you go, you are witnessing for the Lord Jesus Christ 
if you claim his name. Amen. Now, first of all, that's got to be important in your life. You have got to be genuinely saved, not saved because you walked an aisle and prayed a prayer and decided you were going to join a church. How many times do I ask people, do you know the Lord? And they, well, I got baptized when I was six. I didn't ask you when you got baptized. Do you know the Lord? Well, I go to that church over there. I didn't ask you where you went to church. Well, my grandma's such and such. Well, that's wonderful. I know she's saved, but I'm asking you, do you know the Lord? If you don't know the Lord, forget joy. You ain't ever going to have it, and you are chasing emptiness for the rest of your days. So please consider stepping up to the plate and joining the sovereign of the universe who loves you with all his heart. But if you've got Jesus everywhere you go, you are, as Galatians 5 teaches us an ambassador for Christ. Amen. Are you not? What is an ambassador? I told you that. It's someone who comes on behalf of someone way more important with a message that's critical. We are the messengers of the Lord of creation. Amen. And the message we have to give them is that your God loves you. The living God of the universe loves you so much that he died for you. And I went on to tell you that if we had that joy, it ought to show. We need to let it show because people don't want to hear about your Jesus if every little thing in your life is bad and negative and it shakes you off your foundations. They want to see that you got something real that holds you up in the bad times. And then when the storms come, you're fine because you've got peace in the middle of them. You can look at them and tell them, I've got peace because peace isn't the absence of a storm. It's knowing that my Jesus holds me right in the middle of it. And he's bigger than the storm. And I told you so many things that should have encouraged you on that first night. And I repeated them all week long. And I won't do that tonight except for to say this. You have reason for joy because you are sitting here tonight. By virtue of the fact that there is a pulse in your neck, God ain't done with you. And that's reason enough to be joyful. Because who knows, the very best for your life might be yet to come. And even if that were not the case, as a child of the king, had you not woke up this morning, you would have been in eternity with Jesus Christ in a perfect place. How much better does it get? The worst that can happen to us is that we spend eternity in perfection. Well, I can live with that. And nothing can take my joy because of it. When I consider the truth that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth and that self-same God in Jeremiah 29, 11 says, I know the plans I've got for you. And that same God in Psalm 1830, it says he is perfect. As for God, his way is perfect. So if he's got a plan for me and he's perfect, guess what? His plan for me is perfect. That's reason for joy. And he fulfilled that plan by sending his son. In John 3, 16, we read he sent his only begotten son that whosoever believed in him, and that's me, and I hope it's you, would never have to die but have eternal life. And then I add to that the truth of Romans 8, 28, that all things, even the things that I hate, even the things in life that depress us as humans, all those things are working together for my good to fulfill that plan we talked about from Jeremiah 29 which is still perfect from Psalm 1830 because he ain't changed and when I realize that all of those things are working together for my good and to his glory and that Romans 831 tells me that self-same God of Genesis 1-1 that created the heavens and the earth just because he wanted to is on my side and if he be for me none can be against me nothing can touch my joy And if I didn't teach you anything else, think of that string of Scripture that runs the gamut from beginning to end and add to that finally what we read in Revelation that we, the church, the called out of God, will one day be in His presence. There'll no longer need to be any need for a light switch. We're not going to need solar panels. There's going to be no sun and no moon because God Himself will light our way. 
Man alive, do you know something I hate? I hate going to bed at night because I'm afraid I'm going to miss something. I can't stand to sleep. Now, once I get there, don't try to get me up early. I don't like that either. But I don't like laying down because I'm afraid I'm going to miss something. Do you know there is a land of eternal day and you're never going to get tired? Some of you right now, them eyelids are about as heavy as they can be, even though we just did the church wave. You're about to go against. Now, going to be a day it ain't going to matter. Man, when you think about this, can we not say that we have reason for joy? Yes. Yes. And then I went on to tell you that the reason I believe many Christians don't display their joy is because of a lack of focus. It's either one of two things. Either you don't have the Lord, because if you got him, you ought to have joy. I proved it to you. Or it's wrong focus. And we need to be focused on the points of joy. And I told you, let's pull that word apart. J, Jesus. If your focus is on Jesus, the sovereign of the universe, there ain't nothing that can take you down. Peter, a normal flesh and blood human just like us. Now listen, we look at these folks in the Bible like they are just spiritual giants. They're heroes. They could do things I couldn't. That's not true. Peter was a normal human being. That's what I love about the Bible. Even with those so-called Bible heroes, you see all their flaws. And how many times do we see Peter having to get in trouble because he's got a big mouth? You don't know anybody like that, I'm sure, because you always think through what you're going to say, and people around you always think through what they're going to say, and they never stick their foot in the mouth, right? Peter did all the time, and we do too, if we're honest. Peter had his flaws. He was just a normal human being, and yet here's a man who stepped out of a boat and walked on water right in the middle of a storm. As Jesus walks up to that boat about 4 o'clock in the morning, four and a half miles out, he walks out of the boat and walks to Jesus. And as long as he's focused on Jesus, he's doing just fine. The minute he looks aside and focuses on something other than Jesus Christ, he not only loses his joy, he loses his footing, and he starts swimming and screaming like a little girl, Lord, help me. And what happens? What will always happen? You scream out to Jesus, he's going to reach down, he's going to pick you up dust you off and get you going again but what i'm saying is real simple the point of matthew 20 as we or matthew 14 as we read that is that he walked on water and you can do the same maybe not physically but you can do miraculous things and anything god has called you to if you will just focus on the j of joy and that is jesus christ throughout the scripture i proved that all the way from the beginning to the end he expects to be and deserves to be first who else deserves the throne room of your heart? None. Jesus must be first. And then there was the O of joy, and that's others. And we went all over the place proving what the second commandment teaches us there in Matthew 22, verses 38 through 40. He said the first one is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength. Well, that's what we talked about is the J in joy. But that O, he said the second command is like unto it, love your neighbor as yourself. And is that the person that lives next door? Not hardly. It's everybody you brush elbows with. It's everybody that God gives you a divine appointment with. It's everyone you walk up to in the store. It's everyone that cuts you off in traffic. It's everyone of all types, everywhere, whether you like the way they look, smell, or talk, or not. Amen. It's others. And we're supposed to do what? Put them first. So not only should we not be running around living as if we're number one, we should be running around living like we're not number two either. We're number three. Because it's Jesus and others, and then the why of joy is yourself. And then I told you last night, that's real simple. We know we ought to be looking out for ourselves. We're pretty good at that when it comes to some things, what we want, what we feel like we need. But 
I told you, we got to look at it differently. When it comes to yourself, if you want true joy, first of all, look out for yourself physically. Now, I won't extol all the virtues of exercise and eating right and all that stuff, but I will tell you, just like 1 Corinthians 6.19 teaches us, don't you know that this is the temple of God? Take care of it. Look after it. It's going to fall apart. Ain't nothing you can do about that. And everything that falls apart, just be glory. Just have some glory and have some joy knowing that's just one step closer to heaven. But while you're here, take care of the vehicle. Maintain it the very best you can so that God can use you for as long as he'd like to use you. But even if that vehicle's starting to give out, it's like I shared with you about Miss Marie Dunman. The woman can't do anything but sit in a chair. She can move her eyes a little bit. But she can also grin and show the joy of the Lord, and it shows all over her. Even if you've reached that point where your body's about to give out and it's about time to go home, don't you give up because there's still plenty for you to do. But the reality of that physically is you ought to look out for yourself. And I didn't spend a lot of time on that because more importantly was the spiritual aspect of yourself. And there were three disciplines that I shared with you, and they were simple. Probe God's Word. We need to probe His Word. Think about what it says in 2 Timothy 2.15. Study. Don't just read it, but study to show yourself approved. To who? To God. Amen. Your number one, the focus of your joy. Study to show yourself approved to God. A workman or work lady or whatever you want to call yourself. It's for everybody that need not be ashamed. Able to rightly divide the word of truth. If you intend to take care of yourself spiritually, it's going to begin with reading the instruction manual. How in the world can we propose to know how to live life and do things God's way if we don't read God's word? So I encouraged you to probe his word. Study the word of God so that you can know the God of the word. Secondly, I said that that second discipline was to pray for his will. The Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 5.17, pray without ceasing. Well, that's an easy verse to remember. It's just three little words. Pray without ceasing. I don't ever say amen unless I'm in a corporate worship service. And I only do it then so you'll know, hey, I'm getting ready to do something else now. But I'm praying everywhere I go, almost all the time. If you see me, it looks like I'm talking to myself. No, I really don't like myself that much. I talk to God because I like him a whole lot more. And his advice is way better. So I'm not crazy. Well, maybe I am. But it ain't because I'm talking to myself. I'm talking to the Lord. And we ought to be doing that regularly. Probe his word, pray for his will, and then practice his works. Three very simple disciplines. But a discipline is a difficult thing. You've got to determine that you're going to do it. So even if you are probing the word of God, learning what it says, and even if you are praying for the will of God, it's pretty useless unless you do that last thing and practice his will. I know a lot of Christians, or so-called Christians, that can quote the word, but I don't see it affecting their lives. I don't see it affecting what they do. If the word says thou shalt not, it's not a suggestion. It means don't do it, doggone it. Because God knows better. Do we really think that we know better than the sovereign of the universe? Do we? When you decide to go against God's word and say, well, that really doesn't include me. What you're saying is, I'm smarter than you, God. And how many of you, if I were to ask you to raise your hands, would say, I think I'm smarter than God? Not a one of you. Well, quit acting like it. We've got to quit acting like it. Thou shalt not means thou shalt not. It doesn't mean you probably ought not. Thou shalt not. We need to practice his works. James 1.22 is so very clear, no room for gray. Be ye doers of the word and not hearers only. Otherwise, you are just deceiving yourself. Man, we don't need to be deceivers. 
The devil's good enough at that. We need to be those who are genuinely probing the word, praying for his will, and then practicing his works. And that leads us right into tonight's service. That segue takes us right up to here where we have talked about joy, how important it is, why we should have it, how we put Jesus first to have it, others second, and then we take care of ourselves physically and spiritually so that we can continue to love Jesus and love others, continue to take care of ourselves. Do you see the cycle there? But I've shared with you a lot of things, and I think I've proved it well from the Scripture. These aren't my ideas. It's what God says. But we've learned a lot about joy, but I can tell you this. Nothing's going to change in this community or any other just because you have been shared the reality of truth. The reality of truth doesn't change anything. It is your, the church's, reaction to truth that will change things or lack thereof. Our sister aptly just got up here and said that our nation is in moral decline. Now, I shared that with you. The other night I said, yeah, there's a lot of things that are going on that aren't like they ought to be. We are living in the same kind of times as they did when the book of Romans was written. At that time, the Roman government was ruthless and crooked and corrupt. And I don't care what your political bent is, we know that there is corruption throughout our system. We know that. All the way from the local level to the tip top, there's dishonesty, there's deceit. And the people that are in these positions no longer really represent us. They represent their back pocket. And not only that, we know that immorality is ruling and even encouraged. We live in those times, like it was said in Isaiah, where right's called wrong, wrong is called right. Everything's upside down right now. We're no longer waiting for those to come. We're living in that just like they were in the book of Romans. Not only was sexual immorality going on at that time, it was being done in the temples. Just amazing, the parallels. Taxes were through the roof. We're right there again. You know, it seems like you work three days a week for the government, don't it? Nonetheless, I get off that soapbox and tell you that even though those things are declining, there is a fix. And that is if we will take the truth of what we've learned this week into the world and react to the reality of the truth instead of just hearing the reality of the truth, there might really be a revival. But I'm going to tell you something that is sad. Now, stick with me. I go all over the place doing revivals. And I usually see an upsurge in that community a little bit afterwards. And then things tend to drift right back to the way they were. And you start hearing the same old things. And you start hearing things about folks that you know were in those services that are just contrary to what a Christian ought to be doing. And certainly contrary to what you just preached your heart out for a week about. You say, well, why do you keep doing it? Because I just think one of these days, one of these days, it's going to catch fire and there's going to be just like one of them wildfires in the mountains. They ain't even going to be able to put it out. Amen. And the other reason I do it is because even if you don't change but for two weeks, that's two better weeks that maybe somebody will come to the Lord while you're actually doing something about the truth you've heard and learned. But I want to challenge you, Theresa. You are known in this community as a true church. You really are. And that's why it's such a joy to come out here. You want to hear the truth, and you're doing some incredible things. So I want to challenge you to take what you've heard this week and become known as one of the most joyful churches on the planet. But even if you do that, I want to share with you this other truth. It's not going to work if you do it in these four walls alone. Y'all already got a good church. You already got great fellowship. 
You already have great worship and are known for that. You are one of the givenest communities of people on the planet. But you've got to get it out of these four walls even more than you've been doing. And you've got to let your joy show in such a way that people say, I want to know what they got. And then you turn around and tell them, I got Jesus. That's what this is all about. So tonight, as we finish up, turn to Romans 13. Romans chapter 13. And once you find that, mark that place and then mark up Isaiah 6 chapter 8 where we will finish. But Romans 13 will be where we begin, Isaiah 6, 8. In a message, if I had to get it, give it a title, would be called, Let's Get Up, Get Dressed, and Get Going. Some of you who have been to some of my other revivals know that I've used this passage and this sort of thought process before. But tonight, I sort of come at it from a different angle. As you are turning to Romans 13 and Isaiah 6, in this message, get up, get dressed, and get going, I want to share with you a true story. We went over to the Philippines many years ago, Missy and I, and we took a team. This was one of the first times we'd taken a team. We got there after 32 hours of travel. We're in and out of planes. We're on boats and airplanes and, and, and little, what, I don't even call it a moped. It wasn't even a moped. I don't even know what you call that thing. It was crazy, like a bike with a motor about this big on it. We were in and out of all kinds of vehicles, ended up in the back of a little pickup truck, which would fit in the back of Herbert's pickup truck, we're in the back of that riding there to the air, from the airport to where we're going to the missionary house. We get there. It is 1.30 before we get settled and laid down. Now, Javal Galera is the guy that we work with there. He's a great pastor in the Philippines on the island of Cebu. He tells us, okay, get some rest. Well, we will get up early in the morning and get started. There are people who need the Lord. No problem. That's what we came for. So keep in mind, traveling 32 hours, riding on all kinds of transportation, going to bed at 1.30. At 3 o'clock... I mean, I, I, I just jumped out of my skin. It scared me. I'm like, what is that? I just rolled back over, man. It's like I've been asleep for an hour and a half, sort of. Pastor, it is time to get up, get dressed, and get going. I'm going to tell you something. If there was ever a time as a missionary that I wanted somebody to go away. But that's what we went for. So an hour and a half sleep after 32 hours of travel, we get up, we get dressed, we get going. We start riding again. We go over to the ocean. We get on a ferry, if you want to call it that. And then they feed us these little things about this long that they were called sticky rides, but they look like big old night crawlers, I'm just going to tell you. And they had the same consistency. And I'm not real sure how you make rice brown, but it was. So nonetheless, we're eating that stuff, doing this right here, all the way across the Philippine Sea to the island of Negros. Why in the world would you do something like that? The very same reason I hope you will get up and get dressed and get going. There were lost souls all around us. And we had an opportunity to do something about it. Folks, if you want to turn the tide in this nation, if you want to be part of the solution instead of the problem, like as this sister has so aptly put it, we've got to be the church. If you want to make a difference and be part of the solution instead of the problem, you've got to get up. And you got to get dressed, and you got to get out of these four walls and get going. Amen. We don't know how much time we got left. I'm not one of those preachers that's going to be running around holding a sign. The end is near, but the end is nearer than it was yesterday. Can't argue with that logic, can you? And for some people, the end might be tonight or tomorrow. If there are lost people in your sphere of influence, it's time for you to get up, get dressed, and get going right now. 
And that's what this passage teaches us. Romans 13, 11 through 14 says this, And that knowing the time it is now, it is high time to awake out of sleep, for now is our salvation nearer than we believed. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envy, but put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. Join me in prayer. Would you, Father, thank you for this evening. Thank you for this week. Thank you for helping us establish the fact that we need to have joy safely and firmly and securely in place in our lives as part of our witness. Lord, people don't want to know about you if we look like we don't really believe or if there's no difference in us. So we appreciate the time to have established this. And Lord, it was almost an understatement to say that we as your children have reason for joy. We couldn't count our blessings if we started now and spent the rest of our lives doing so. But even if there were no single blessing in our life except for the fact that you, the God of the universe, loved us enough to die for us and give us the opportunity at eternal life, that's enough for joy. And God, we've looked at how we're supposed to put you first, others second, ourselves last. And as we put ourselves last, it's not for selfish gain. It's to grow closer to you and continue the cycle of joy and bring people into the kingdom. God, tonight, help us to realize all of this has just been time spent and good words spoken unless we take the reality of the truth and react to it. God, I beg you. I beg you from the bottom of my heart, let this be one of those revivals that continues on. And when I see these folks out and about, may I see the joy of the Lord on their faces and in their lives. And may I hear that they are reaching people for the lost faster than any church on the planet. But God, please, more than that, just have your will here tonight in all our lives and in the days ahead until we're with you together in glory. In Jesus' name I beg it. Amen. Simple passage. It says exactly what I've already told you. It says, don't you realize that the time for doing something is now? Think about how many times, especially us guys who like to procrastinate on projects that our wives give us, they'll sometimes say, hey, I'd love for us to do this. Well, I'd love for you to fix that. And we, oh, yeah, I'll be glad to. And then six months later, you're being reminded. And then about a year later, you're being reminded. And two years later, they're calling the counselor saying, look, either he gets this done or I want a divorce. Now, I'm, I'm, that, that's extreme. But let, think about the times you've planned something and didn't follow through. This can't be one of those times, folks. It says right here, don't you realize the time is now. It's high time to wake up out of sleep. You see, what's happened is that the church is still meeting. See, our problem is not that we're unchurched or irreligious. It's that we're insincere and unfaithful. We've fallen asleep at the wheel. We've come into our church buildings and we've fallen asleep in our comfy pews. We've decided to come here and do church every time we are supposed to be doing church, but we forget that church happens out there too. Amen. In fact, that's where church is really going on. That's where the church is supposed to be, the hands and feet of Christ. And I'm telling you, it's almost too late. 
The church has become so irrelevant in our culture. We're the laughing stock of the culture anymore. And the reason we have no rights anymore and everyone else has rights but us is because we've become insignificant. We've become complacent and we've fallen asleep in the pews and we haven't stood with strength on the Word of God. It's time, it says here, high time to wake up. For now, our salvation is nearer than we expected. What does it mean? The time is drawing nearer every single day. And here we are some 2,000 years after the cross. How much closer do you think we are now? How much longer do you really believe the Lord will tarry? Every day that he tarries is just mercy. Because if he decided to wipe us out right now, he'd be vindicated in doing so. But the time is nearer. Our salvation is closer now than we ever knew. And who knows, one day that sky's going to split open, and when it does, it's going to be like, I can't believe it was now. But what he's saying, it's time to wake up. We've got to get up. Had I went back to sleep in the Philippines that night, I can tell you there are at least two human beings that may never have heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. Two people that gave their heart and lives to him may not have. And I want you to ask yourself this question. Are you going to stay asleep in the pews, comfortable with where you've been with the Lord, and do nothing differently at the risk of someone's eternal soul? When I think about that, it makes me shudder. Had I not gotten up when he knocked on that door, God is saying that right here in the Scripture. It's high time to wake up, church. And be the church because the time is drawing near. He says the night is far spent. The day is at hand. Again, he's talking about the timing and how as time passes, we're closer than ever to the end. Let us therefore, in other words, after he determines, hey, I hope you get it. It's time to wake up. Let us do something. Let us therefore. Therefore what? Let's get dressed. When I got up that night, had I not gotten dressed, I would have been out there witnessing to people in nothing but my shorts because that's how I sleep. And that would not have been pleasant because I am the great white hope. I'm telling you, the reason I say that is my skin up under here is so white. It will better the immorality that is just overlooked in the church. Man, y'all need to read 1 Corinthians 5 thoroughly and 1 Corinthians 6. It talks about it. We've got to protect the purity of the church. And that starts with each of us being sincere about casting off the flesh. He goes on to say, we need to put that mess away. Quit being unrestrained. Quit giving in to the lust of the flesh. And put on what? The Lord Jesus Christ. You ever thought about it that way? We are to wear the Lord Jesus Christ. Just like I wear this coat. Think about it that way. You are to get rid of the old self and put on Jesus Christ in such a way that he covers everything else. So that when people look at you, they see Jesus. Because you might be the only Jesus they ever meet. And he's saying it is time for the church to wake up, put off the immorality and all of the garbage that the world has been throwing at them and convincing them that you can compromise and do. Put that mess away. Folks, if the word says don't, don't. If the word says do, do it. But put the mess off and put on the Lord Jesus Christ and quit fulfilling the flesh and the lust thereof. Now, I could beat this to death, but the Scripture simply says what it says. It's time for us to get up, and it's time for us to get dressed. You get it? All right, well, let's move on to Isaiah 6 then. This sister, again, had no idea that I'd be using this verse, 
but it is so appropriate, Isaiah 6-8. Now, just to give you a bit of context, Isaiah, as you know, is one of the great prophets of the Bible. If you read his story, it's a little sad, though, because he gets this call to ministry, and then after he gets this call and accepts the call to ministry, God says, guess what? They're not going to listen. Now, that's sad. You know, and I've realized that as a pastor. There are a lot of people that just aren't going to listen. But you keep doing it because there are some that will. And Isaiah, as he is hearing this call to ministry, he does what we all should do and say, I, I, I'm not worthy. I can't do that. How many of you in here feel worthy to be in the ministry of Jesus Christ? But you all are ministers of Jesus Christ. How many of you feel worthy to be called an ambassador for Jesus Christ, understanding who he really is? Hopefully none of you feel that way. I sure don't, but you are. And Isaiah himself, he says, I am a man of unclean lips. I can't do this. And then God just pretty much tells him that cliche that we've all heard. God does not call the equipped. He equips the called. And if you belong to the Lord Jesus Christ, he will enable you to do whatever it is he's asking you to do. So as you probe the word, pray for his will, you will be able to practice his works correctly because he's going to make it so. And boy, then joy just starts flowing all over you. But as he says this, he says, listen, this voice comes from heaven. And can you imagine hearing this in Isaiah 6, 8? And it says this, also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then said I, here I am, send me. Now it seems almost too simple after a week's worth of work up here. But here's the end of it all. Joy is a huge part of your witness. And if you don't have it, you either need to get saved or you need to start refocusing on Jesus Christ, then others, and then on growing in Jesus Christ so you can continue the cycle and bring others along to the source of your joy and strength. And the only way that's going to happen is if you listen to the call that God is placing on your heart and life right now. You say, I can't hear the voice of the Lord. Listen to me. I'm speaking to you straight from his word. And I am saying, as the Lord is saying, God is willing to use you. But who in this room is willing to be sent? Who in this room is willing to walk out those doors and show your joy with every breath you take, with every step you make, and everywhere you go, instead of letting the devil steal it? I hope that your simple answer is here I am. Lord, send me. Amen. Tonight as we enter into invitation, and yeah, I'm done. You're like, really? Yeah, I'm done. Because I can't say any more than this. Joy is important. You got reason for it. You need to be showing it and sharing it. And you can, but you're going to have to determine tonight as the Lord calls you into your individual ministries, which he has for you whether or not you're going to respond or leave here just like you have every other revival service being the same or just letting it last for a week or two. Folks, for crying out loud, put your joy on Amen. and get busy and start with this tonight during the invitation. Here I am. Send me, Lord.
Thank you. 